Yeah, yeah, but that's why I go to celebrate recovery. <clears throat> they say the first step is to admit do you have a problem. So I'm at the first step. Life is indeed out of control, and I am powerless. But God is powerful, amen? He will deliver us. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let's look to Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63. I guess I lied last week. I said we were going to finish, but I tried. But it's, I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, ye of little faith, right? We'll see. Isaiah chapter 63. Again, we're in the final section of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet is now looking forward to the kingdom. And in Isaiah chapter 63, he sees the return of the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid. He sees the Messiah coming, but not like you and I are looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah to come, for Jesus Christ to come for his church. But they're seeing him return through Armageddon. Through the valley of the plains of Megiddo. In fact, in Isaiah 63, it says, Who is this who comes from Edom? Edom was a nickname for Esau. It means red, and it comes to mean out of the Gentile nations. Who's coming out of Edom? Edom, remember the, the scripture lays out for us that all the armies of the world will be gathered in one place. In the plains of Megiddo. You say, oh, Jackie, there's no way they fit. Oh, man, you ought to see the plains of Megiddo. Armageddon, 185 miles long. That's a big valley. It's not a little place. It's, it stretches far beyond what your eyes can see. There in the nation of Israel, we see the Antichrist is going to be gathered against Israel, thinking he's going to give the death blow to the nation of Israel. And as he's preparing to give the death blow, he hears word that the kings of the east have made their way down. The Euphrates has dried up. And we see now this army, a 200 million man army, some people estimate the the army of the kings of the east, coming down against the Antichrist. And he's going to stop and, and stop his battle against the Jewish people. And he's going to turn to face his new enemy. And they're gathered in that one place. Now, they all think they've come for world domination. And we've seen that happen before, haven't we? People gathering for world domination, that's what they think they've come for. But the Bible says, God said, I put a hook in your mouth. And I brought you to the plains of Megiddo. I'm going to bring you there. And there's another call that he has at that same time. As those armies are gathering, the Lord says, I will call... Every carnivorous bird under heaven to come to the valley of Megiddo as well. Can you imagine the ominous sight on that day? The battle of Armageddon, the armies gathered to do battle, and every carnivorous bird circling overhead? What's that look like? Pretty crazy place. It's here that Isaiah says, who is this? That's coming out from that place. Who is this that's walking out from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Basra means um, the great gathering. It was the chief city of Edom. 
So he says, hey, who, who is this coming out of Edom, coming from this gathering at the, at the plains of Megiddo, walking through uh, Basra, and his garments are dyed. Now, Revelation chapter 19 tells us what those garments are dyed with. He's going to explain it to us in just a moment. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. So this is a question. The prophet, it's, it's, it's as though he sees this vision and he's asked the question, who is this? And then the answer comes. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Jesus' response as he's walking out of the plains of Megiddo. I find it interesting that here the ultimate judgment of God has is, is come and is coming during the time that this prophecy is looking forward to. And even as that judgment has come, how does he describe himself? Mighty to save. The saddest phrases we'll ever read as we go through the book of Revelation are that still the people, the earth dwellers, would not repent. Would not repent. Would not turn toward the Lord. Would not seek His face. Now He's going to go on now, the Lord speaking, and tell us what He was doing. Look what He says. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people no one was, was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury, and their blood is sprinkled on my garments, and I have stained all my robes. He's just speaking to us about what it is that his garments had been dyed in. Just as a, a someone treading on the wine press, stomping in the grapes, would have grape juice all over them. Only in this case, it's Jesus Christ walking out of the battlefield of Armageddon, and he's been crushing his enemies like grapes. The armies that were arrayed against him. And his clothing is dipped in blood drops of blood all around it the scripture declares that at that time the blood will flow to the horse's bridle now there's some argument on whether it's the blood will flow or the blood will splash it doesn't make any difference to me either way it's bad all the armies of the world the scripture tells in revelation 19 is jesus returns they will all turn toward him to bring the battle to him because ultimately who's their problem with their problem is with God. And so they're going to face off with the Lord. Listen. This morning we talked in Ephesians chapter 2 about the state of man. He is dead and trespasses in sin. He is depraved utterly, completely in every part of his body. And he's doomed. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 18, the, the condemnation has already been given out. You understand, judgment's over God has already judged. The world is condemned. We stand as condemned men. Not men waiting for their day before God. We stand before God as condemned men. Caught in sin. Condemned. The soul that sins shall, the scripture says in Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall die. Period. But God has given to us the greatest gift imaginable in the fact that the he gave his son, Jesus Christ, who set aside his robes of righteousness and he came clothed in humanity. What was it like for Almighty God to put on flesh? What was it like for a God who is omnipresent 
to be present in one tiny baby and left to be cared for by a teenage mother. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Not only that, but then he, as, he, as he went about in his ministry and he declared himself to be the Messiah, spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, they were looking for a conquering king, but the scripture very clearly says that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that we would hide our faces from him. we turn away from him. They would reject him. Daniel chapter 9 said that he would be put to death for the sins of the people, not for himself. And so he went to the cross. The stripes he bore on his back, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, were for our healing. The punishment that he went through was so that we would never have to face that judgment. God poured out his wrath upon his son. And then he said, to as many as received him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. I don't feel sorry for anybody that's in the plains of Megiddo. I don't feel sorry for for them because the only way to get there is to step over the crucified body of their Savior and say, no, I'll save myself. There's two feasts the book of Revelation talks of. We will each be at one of these feasts. The feast of the great God, which is when all the carrion come to eat the bodies of kings that die in the fields of Armageddon or the marriage supper of the Lamb. One or the other. The marriage supper of the Lamb, as Scripture declares, is for the redeemed. The redeemed that are going to be with Jesus Christ. Why is it so important to, to make a decision? Listen, God's judgment is, 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 is given. Guilty. Nobody gets out. We all have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to receive a a free gift that says, man, here, you don't have to be judged. But if I slap that gift away, this is what I have to see. God will judge sin. Either his son did it for you, or you do it for eternity for yourself. But remember, the Bible says Jesus Christ was crucified from when? The foundation of the earth. That means before creation began, he was already suffering. Whatever was involved in paying the price for sin, it wasn't one moment, one second, one time. He was crucified from the foundation of the world. That at the beginning, he already knew what it would be like to wear flesh, to come and to die. The first time Jesus came as the lamb. The second time he comes as lambzilla. And I'm stoked. I'm stoked for him to come back as the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Perfect, righteous justice. From the throne of David as Jesus sits as king. That's what Isaiah sees. That's what he's seeing. 
The heartbreak is for those who reject the truth of God's word, who say, I won't receive it. That's the future for them. That's the future. To be in this place, to be at this battle, to face these things. Listen, he says, their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained my robes for the day of vengeance is my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. How long has the redeemed of the Lord looked for his return? Long time. Long time. He says, the day of my redeemed has come. The day when Jesus Christ will rule and reign. When he sets up his kingdom. When he sets up his kingdom. Listen, the scripture lays out for us. <coughs> excuse me. And ultimately, as we look for the return of Christ, we can see that event in the book of Revelation. In fact, if you turn with me to Revelation chapter <clears throat> 5, we'll just take a quick note of it. In Revelation chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. 800 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. You want to understand the book of Revelation? You have to know the Old Testament. There's a scroll written on the front and the back sealed with seven seals in the book of Jeremiah. It's a title deed. It's a title deed. The cost of redemption was what was written on the back. The price that had to be paid in order to open the seals. It says here, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and the lucid seals? If you're going to understand the book of Revelation, you have to have understanding of what? The Old Testament. The Levitical law stated that in order for someone to redeem someone else, they had to be near of kin. They had to be near of kin. Kinsman redeemer. Goel. Redeemer means that they were of kin. That they could put their hands in the hands of the one who owed the money and bridge the gap between them and the one to whom the money was to be paid. That's why God came in the flesh. So he could put his hand in the hand of man and the other hand in the hand of his father and bridge the gap between us. Who is worthy to open the scroll, the title deed to the planet earth. Who's worthy? No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has prevailed to open the scroll, to loose it so that they could see. Verse 5 says, but one of the elders said to me, if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, you have to have an understanding of what? The Old Testament. The Old Testament, the book of Chronicles, the priesthood was divided into 24 courses and were called the 24 elders. The 24 elders become symbolic for a nation of priests. 
The elders, when you read of the elders in the book of Revelation, you will see that they fulfill the role that Jesus promised to the church when he said that the church would be a kingdom of priests unto him. The nation of Israel was supposed to do that. But they're still waiting to be saved at this point. But the church, they're there. One of the elders speaks of one of, the, one of the people, one of the bodies within the church. Listen, he goes on. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. All the earth. Some people say, you know, I don't like to study Revelation. It's so hard. So hard to understand. Really, because he just told you what you were looking at. You're looking at the lamb as though he had been slaughtered in the Greek. There's only one man-made thing in heaven, right? What is it? The scars of Jesus. For he still bears in his body the marks, the price of redemption. He stood in the midst of the elders. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you unto myself, that where I am, what? You will be also. So who's he in the midst of? The elders. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you see seven letters to seven churches. The Bible says that the, or, or Revelation tells us that the seven churches are represented by seven candlesticks. And who walks in the midst of the seven candlesticks? Jesus Christ. He walks in the midst. Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered, there I am where? In your midst, with you. There he is in that place. Listen. It goes on and they turn and they see him. He's got seven horns, which speaks of of, uh, seven, the number of completion. So complete power, seven eyes, complete wisdom, which are the seven spirits of God. In fact, Isaiah... I want to say Isaiah chapter 11 lays out the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit that lays out seven things that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in the life of believers and here in the life of Jesus Christ. Why is he filled with the Holy Spirit? I thought he was God. Why does he need him? What did Jesus do? The the great kenosis. He emptied himself, not of divinity. He's fully God, but he emptied himself. He set aside all of his power. And he came as a man. And he functioned as a man who relied totally and completely on the Holy Spirit for everything. Jesus walked on the water, not by his power, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus healed, not by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke the words that his father gave him to speak. He did the things that his father gave him to do. He fulfilled all those things, filled completely with the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, what do we see there at that baptism? As John baptized him, what do we see coming down out of the heavens? The Spirit descending as a dove and alighting itself on him. And the Greek phrase, alighting itself on him, means he came, he stayed, he was with him. From that point forward through his earthly ministry, Holy Spirit overflowing him, guiding him, directing him. So we see the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world with a scroll in his hand. With a scroll in his hand in the midst of the elders. There's more. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures 
And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Where are the golden bowls? Do we have to wonder? What's he say? Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you know your prayers are so valuable to God, he keeps them? In bowls made of gold. When you pray, he keeps your prayer. He keeps them. There they are with the 24 elders and with the four living creatures. And they sang a new song. Now I want you to listen to the words of the song. It has been called the song of the redeemed. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed who? Us. Who was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? The church. Anybody who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what's the Bible say? No more Jew or Gentile, no more slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Who is redeemed? The ones that are singing around the throne of God. What chapter are we in? Chapter 5. When's the tribulation begin? Chapter 6. Interesting, isn't it? You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Doesn't that describe the church? Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation being redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and have made us kings and priests to our God. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said he was going to do to the church? And we shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and the elders, and a number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. By the way, that's lots. It's a lot of people saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and that are and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor, glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Revelation chapter 5. Book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It divides itself in the first chapter like this. John, I want you to write the things which you have seen the things which are and the things which shall be after these things. Three divisions. Chapter 1, the things which are, is the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. He sees a vision of Jesus Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things which are, the seven letters to the seven churches. That's the things that are during this time. The third division of the book is the things which shall be after these things. Metatauta, in case we would miss where that division would start, chapter 4 begins with that phrase. Metatauta, and God says to John, come up here, and John is translated into heaven. Chapter 5, we see the church in heaven singing the song of the redeemed with Jesus Christ. As he begins to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And as we look at Isaiah, we see Jesus coming. He's 
there in the battle of Armageddon, does he need us? Do we fight with him? No. Are our souls still, are we wondering whether or not we're going to make it? No, we're with him. We'll be with him forever from that point forward. At whatever time that occurs, we're with Jesus forever. But does that mean he's done with every other human being on the planet? No, man, he's not done. He's not done. He will extend the opportunity to, for salvation all the way through the kingdom age. All the way through. Reaching out because he is, according to Isaiah, mighty to save. Mighty to save. We want to stand in him, with him. Well, while we're there in Revelation, flip over to chapter 19. <clears throat> I know you didn't think we were studying Revelation tonight. We're not really. I'm not even going to make it through 64. I'm killing myself. Okay, so he goes on. After these things, I heard a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory, honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of the servants shed by her. The... the Tribulation saints, believers in Jesus Christ who are put to death during the tribulation. He's coming back. Who do they belong to? What does the Bible say? When we, put our, when we receive him, then we become the elect, right? We become adopted children of who? Adopted children of God. And the earth dwellers in the book of Revelation are slaughtering the adopted children of God. And I know we think sometimes, God, where are you when all this stuff's going on? He's just filling up the bowls of his wrath. He's going to pour it out. Every drop. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he said, if there be any other way that this cup would pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not your will, but might be done. Jesus drank that cup. The cup of the wrath of God to its full. Either he bears it for us or we bear it for ourselves, for eternity. We receive that salvation. Well, it says in chapter 19, he's, he's preparing to return. He's on his way to come back. In verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. You know what's kind of amazing about that? Nobody knows the name of God today. Do you know that? They call it the impronounceable name of God, or the tetragrammaton, in your Bibles... It's written in English with a capital L-O-R-D. And in Hebrew, it's Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. And in Hebrew, W and V are the same letter. Uh, The difference is what's around them. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yehovah. Nobody knows. The vowels aren't there. He has a name written on him that nobody knows but himself. Nobody knows a covenantal name. The the tradition says that the high priest, right before he died, would whisper it in the ear of the next high priest. Somewhere down the line, somebody didn't make it. We don't know it. We don't know it. We don't know what it is. But here he has this name written on him that no one knows but himself. 
And listen, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, God the Word. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Now, if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, what do you have to understand? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. What is the sword that comes out of the mouth? Living and powerful, the Word of God. The Word of God coming from his mouth, out from his lips. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalmist said. This word is what he uses to do battle. The word of God. Which, by the way, what did he have to do to create the world? Speak it, and it was, right? And who spoke? Who's God the word? What does Colossians say? Who created the, the, the world? Jesus Christ created it. Everything that is created, he made What does the Bible also say? That the Father created. What else does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit was there at creation. We see them all. All three there gathered together doing this work, the work that God had called them to. Well, listen, he goes on in Revelation 19. It says, now, out of the mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, Free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured with him, the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, I've got a little news flash for you. At the end of chapter 20, that's the end of the kingdom age, and all the living and the dead are judged at that time, and the lake of fire is opened back up. Guess who's still there? The beast and the false prophet. Still alive, still present, a thousand years later. Judgment is eternal. It's not just for a moment. It's for all time. We are saved for all time, or we are damned for all time. Book of Revelation lays out what Isaiah is talking to us about in chapter 63. What things, the things which are, the things which will be after these things, the things which you have seen. Chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. Remember I told you we see the church in heaven. Chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. Seven years. Covered by seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls. All the wrath of God poured out on the earth dwellers. Those who put all their faith and trust in the world and not in him. 
And after this wrath is poured out, we see the battle of Armageddon. And the battle of Armageddon takes place. We just read it. Chapter 19, it's over. Chapter 20, the kingdom age. Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years. Chapter 21, new heaven, new earth, and we all live happily ever after. Book of Revelation in a nutshell. It's not hard to understand. You just need to know what chapter you're in and what it's talking about. What's being laid out? You have to have an understanding of the Old Testament, which is where we're studying tonight. As we look at Isaiah chapter 63 again, just as we wrap up the thought that we were going through, we see this very same event. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. Listen, when Jesus stood in Luke chapter 4 in Nazareth, and they asked him if he wanted to read anything, the Bible says he picked up the scroll and he found the place... In the book of Isaiah, and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Good news. That's where we're at right now. What's the next phrase? Jesus stopped in the middle of a sentence. The second part of that sentence, and the day of vengeance for our God. In Isaiah 63, we're seeing the culmination of the day of vengeance of our God. The destruction of the armies in Armageddon as Jesus treads a winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. I looked and there was no one to help, he says in Isaiah 63, verse 5. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my arm brought salvation for me and my own fury, it sustained me. In verse 5, he's saying there's two things that Jesus wrought on his own. Salvation and judgment. No one was on the cross with him. He was there by himself. And no one will be present in judgment. The Father says, all judgment I have given to the Son. Jesus is going to judge the nations. Who better? He's the righteous judge. He's the one who's going to judge, and he's going to do it alone. I have trodden down my people, or I'm sorry, I have trodden down the people in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. That's the event that takes place. But beginning in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 63 and going all the way through chapter 64 is a prayer. The prayer of the remnant. The remnant. The Lord says, I always will have a remnant. A remnant. A a group of people that believe, that still trust the Lord. The remnant of Israel. The Bible lays out for us in the book of Romans that all of Israel will be saved. Who is all of Israel? All of Israel that received Jesus Christ as a Messiah. The book of Zechariah tells us that one day Israel is going to look at Jesus and they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They're going to ask him, where did you get those wounds in your hands and the wounds in your feet? Jesus will say, in the house of my friends. He came to his own, and his own received him not, right? Chapter 65 of Isaiah is going to begin with this phrase. 
I was received by a people who did not know me. He looks, as he answers the prayer of the remnant, he's going to look forward and say, oh, that there's a group from all tribes, all tongues, all nations that will believe. The church. The church. Hey, Israel, God still has a plan for. Israel will be saved. Those truly of Israel. But being born a Jew doesn't make you saved any more than being born a Gentile does. What makes you saved? By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We get to see a snapshot of coming events. This is coming. For 2,000 years, people have been preaching the judgment of God. Judgment of God's coming. And so what Peter said would happen has occurred, right? In the last days, scoffers will come, and they'll say, Where is the Lord? For since the beginning, since the fathers went to sleep, all things continue as they have. You keep saying Jesus is coming back. Where is he? Peter says, Well, you know, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. But he's long-suffering toward you, desiring that no one would perish. Listen, when Jesus comes back for judgment, it's too late. There's not an opportunity at the Battle of Armageddon for someone to get saved. That, their chance was prior. When that judgment starts, it's too late to go, oh, I believe now. It's too late. So God said, I wait for to the Lord. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So as far as God's concerned, he's only been gone a couple of days. And he waits. He waits to give the opportunity for salvation to as many as would receive him. Then he comes. What's our role in that? We're to pray. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. What else are we to do? Go into all the world and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Who knows? You may sit down with the last person who's going to receive Jesus Christ. You may pray the sinner's prayer with them and they get saved. And the next thing you see is Jesus' face saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. What a glorious day that would be, right? But what are we supposed to be doing from now till then? Occupy till I come, he said. Do business till I come. Reach out till I come. Share till I come. Study till I come. Tell others till I come. Till you see me face to face. So next time we get together, we'll study the prayer of the remnant. For you and I, we as a remnant are going to pray. So we're just going to set aside this last final minutes, a, a Sunday evening service, and just really seek the Lord in prayer. I invite you, if God lays something on your heart, pray. If God gives you a word to share, a word of scripture, verse, a, a word for the body, share it. Don't be afraid. It's an opportunity for us to minister in the gifts of the Spirit tonight, an opportunity for us to minister in prayer an opportunity for us to seek his face. And when it's over, it's over. If you got a bail, it's all good. God bless you. Go in peace. If you're able to stay to the end, I'll see you when we're done. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord God, we thank you that we can come before you. We thank you for an opportunity to, to study your word, Lord, and for an opportunity to, uh, to just open up our heart and receive the, the understanding of, of the eschatology, the study of end times and what that means and how that all works and how it fits together. Lord, I thank you that your word, everything fits. Everything makes sense. And I thank you that your word all ties together. And we need to know your whole word, not bits and pieces. Everything for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, we pray that you would just again open the eyes of our understanding. Father, we pray for this body. We pray for the body of Christ around the world. We pray, Father, that you would pour out revival on your people, God, that people would get saved right and left, that our, our nation would change, that our town would, would just be turned on its ear from all the people coming to know you. We know, God, your desire. So, Father, use us as tools to accomplish your goal. Use us as tools to accomplish your desire as we present ourselves to you, tools of righteousness. To do what you're calling us to. And Lord we thank you. For the sacrifice you made for us. And for the fact that you welcome us into your family. Lord let us not hold that with selfishness God. But may we spread the word. To whosoever. That they can come. And be a part of your family with us. 